All right, we're in Philippians chapter 2 tonight. We start off here with verse 1. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, he gives a list here of four things. The first off, the consolation comes from the Greek word, which means comfort, encouragement, or exhortation. Comfort, encouragement, or exhortation. So if there is any comfort, exhortation, encouragement in Christ, is what he says. He then goes on and says, if any comfort from love. Now, love should be our motivation for any comfort we give. Anytime we're giving comfort, we need to have not just, not that an affection love, but an agape love. Have that kind of comfort from love. He says, if any fellowship of the Spirit, the word there is koinonia, which means partnership. We have a partnership with the Holy Spirit. We sometimes have to remember that. He's our partner in the things that we're doing. He, he takes part with everything that we do. Sometimes I think it's a, a bit uh, bad to translate this as fellowship in this aspect because it's not just a fellowship that we're... we're it's a partnership. And that's what Paul's talking about here. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship or, or partnership of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. Now those, uh, you know how we talk about the heart as being the center of love. You know, they had those shirts and I, w- I never really knew it was pronounced this way when they had the eye and then the, the little heart-shaped thing and then whatever it is that you love. Mm-hmm. I've always just thought it was just I love New York or I love whatever it is. And, but apparently they pronounce it I heart whatever. I really didn't know that they did it that way. It, it seems kind of stupid to me, but I didn't say that to people's faces when they were doing it. <laughs> but we associate the heart with, uh, with love. Now, of course, the organ, the heart, has absolutely nothing to do with love. But that's how we associate it with. You know, we got the, the heart's got all that jewelry. you got lady comes on the TV and advertises her jewelry with the heart. Yeah, she irritates me, but I don't buy that jewelry. Is that what, what's her name? That's the one. Yeah, I won't buy it because she just, um, we're, not, we're not of the same mind. I would just put it that way. <laughs> so... Uh, but that, that's not what the, the uh, mentality that Paul has here. Paul, they, they associate love and the deep feelings of, of love with the bowels. And so a lot of the wording in Greek and in Paul's, it, it's around that. And a lot of times they won't translate it that way in the Bible. <laughs> they'll, they'll put something like heart in there or something else. They didn't translate it that way here either. But that's actually what all this wording is, is talking about. What he's basically saying is don't let your affection and mercy be superficial. Let it come from deep within. Now, I wrote this in your outline because I wanted you to get it because most of you probably don't have this at home. And I wanted you to be able to see this. This is Weiss' translation of these, verse, these verses or this verse. In view of the fact that there is a certain ground of appeal in Christ which exhorts, since there is a certain tender persuasion that comes from the divine love. You see how he's changed that a little bit? Not if there is, but he says in view of the fact that there is. So he sees it as a lot more, uh, that Paul's saying something much more certain. Since there is a certain tender persuasion that comes from divine love, in view of the fact that there is a certain joint participation with the Spirit, partnership, and a common interest and activity, since there are certain tender-heartednesses and compassionate yearnings and actions. Now, when I put this in my my, um, word processor, word perfect, uh, 
it underlined tenderheartedness as if that's not a word. I've never heard of that word before, <laughs> but apparently Mr. Weist sees that as a word and uh, put it in there. That's almost hard to say, tenderheartednesses. Hmm. It's a lot of endings in, in one, got an E-R and E-D and E-S, all kinds of stuff in there. Anyway, since there are certain tenderheartednesses and compassionate yearnings and actions, these are things that are a part of us and they should be a part of us. But since these things are there, he's talking about four things in here. First off, comfort, consolation, exhortation, that kind of thing. Then the comfort that comes from love, the fellowship or the partnership of the Holy Spirit, and then affection and mercy that comes from deep within us. These are things that you actually have, and the Word of God declares that you have as being a saved person in in Jesus Christ. He then goes on and says this, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Now, when you say fulfill my joy, does that mean that Paul's joy is full? In this area. That would mean that the Philippians, even though they are a great church and Paul has a lot of affection for them, apparently there's some room for growth. So he's saying, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. I would assume from this that not everyone was like-minded. Not everybody had the same same mind, mindset. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love. We're all born into Christ. We all have the same love. Being of one accord of one mind. Now, there's a whole lot said about being in unity and, and so forth and and, you know, we, we're thinking we've got to be in agreement with all these different things. And sometimes, you know, another brother or sister is not quite agreeing the same things that we are and, and so forth. But he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. If we would understand what he is talking about here, we would have a whole lot easier time with unity. Unity is not about agreeing on all the issues. Unity is about being like-minded. If you can come to a place where you are like-minded, even though you may differ on some of the issues, there is still unity that is there. And this is where we have to, to kind of come in and, and be a part of this. There's, a, there's a, a need for us to be like-minded. There's a, there's a way that we, we look at things. If, if we find out that we have the same way of looking at things, even though we may differ, we, may still, we can still get along a whole lot better. If we have this like-mindedness and some of the you know, political things tend to separate people more so than anything else. But if we actually just break it down and look at what is it, what kind of a mindset do we have? We can find out that we can probably agree on the issues a whole lot more and that we would be a, a, a lot better off. Uh, one of the things that had gone over in the last uh, week or two, I think it was, I'm not sure what day it was. Uh, I believe uh, uh, the president had passed some kind of a... Um, uh, Bill signed something, did something anyway, to put something in, into effect with all the transgender bathrooms. Did you hear about that? That there was no longer uh, instituted. Now, we can look at this a whole couple of different ways. One, if you were one who liked the idea that a boy who thought he was a girl could enter into the girl's bathroom in a high school, and you were okay with that, then you're mad that that edict was, was put out. If you are the mindset that I don't think they should be able to do it at all, I'm, uh, I'm upset that the president didn't put out a mandate that said 
that the boys cannot go into the girls' bathroom no matter what, because he didn't do that, then you would be upset. But you see, if you have a, of, of a, of a certain mind frame, and here's the mind frame that I, I approach this at. My mind frame is, I go back to the founding documents. How was the country founded? The country was founded in, in a federalist state in that the federal government had small power, few and well-defined, and the states were, were many. What uh, the president actually did was he put a, an edict in that says he throws it back to the state. It's up to the state. Pennsylvania decides what happens in their bathrooms. New Jersey decides what happens in their bathrooms. Delaware decides what happens in their bathrooms. Not the federal government. It's not uh, imputed upon everyone. Which I may like the idea that I don't want boys going into the girls' bathrooms, period. But if I can understand the like-mindedness, the mindedness is the federal government is not supposed to be doing these things. That's a state government that is supposed to do. It even happens in abortion. You know, in the church, we get very passionate about abortion. It is not, by the way our country is set up, not talking about the Bible, talking about the way our country is set up, it is not for the president to say abortions are illegal. That's not how our, president, our, our country is set up. It's for the states to decide it because it's not in the Constitution as a defined federal power. So I'm fine with a president who doesn't want to make an edict that forces the entire country to go along with that because the mindset is small federal government, Big state government. And we can get on page with a lot more issues that way if we look at, look at things. But see, some people just get upset and say, well, how come he didn't do it this way? And why didn't he do it this way? And how come this was going on? And, and all that sort of stuff. It's how we are viewed as a, as a mindset. Now, I've told you this story, probably not recently, but at least uh, once or twice I've told you this. In college, my best buddy for talking doctrine was a guy by the name of Elliot. And he was a Lutheran. And we didn't agree on too much doctrine at all. There was very little doctrine that we agreed, uh, that we actually agreed with. But we had great discussions. And we had discussions about things that we disagreed with. We had, we had such epic discussions of things that we disagreed with that people would pay money to sit at our table. They didn't, but they would have. <laughs> to sit at our table and to hear us go back and forth on any particular topic. Because, uh, you know, he was no novice, I was no novice, and so we had great, but we, we respected each other. We weren't yelling at each other, we didn't put each other down. We had a great discussion on these particular issues, and, uh, and it was fun. I enjoyed talking with him, I looked forward to talking with him, even though we didn't agree on hardly anything. We didn't agree on communion. <laughs> we didn't agree on what legalism was. We didn't agree on how the church ought to, how Sunday service ought to go. We didn't agree on much of, of any of that because we're very different. You know, if I sat in his services, I would be bored. If he sat in mine, he would be appalled. <laughs> it just, it wouldn't work. We didn't see Jesus as the healer. He didn't see Jesus as the healer. I did. Then there's just a whole lot of things. But we had great fellowship together because our mindset was, if it's in the word of God, I want to believe it. That was our mindset. And we approached it that way. And I think I told you before that the, one of the conversations he had with me says, he says, Steve, I, I know that not everything in our theology is backed up by Scripture. <laughs> and he, he didn't mention that, but we, we talked about it, the mutual respect we had for each other because what we believed and what we stood for, we believed in, in we found, had Scripture for it. And I enjoyed that about him, and he apparently enjoyed that about me, and we had great discussion. See, we can have discussions about things and just be of, the, of a different mindset. 
we have to have, make sure we get on the same page as far as a mindset is concerned. You know, you look at two people who are, are on opposite sides. You know, if you get a Dallas Cowboy fan and a Philadelphia Eagles fan, put them in the same room, they're not going to have a great conversation, you would think. But they could. You see, if they would get on the same mind, they, they're not going to agree that one team is better than the, their team is not better than the other team. They're not going to agree on that. But they can have pleasant conversations. I've had very pleasant conversations with people that are Giants fans and people that are Cowboys fans. Can have very because we have a mindset that, uh, at least at that time, it's not so much my mindset now, <laughs> but at that time, I had a mindset that I enjoyed football. <laughs> I haven't enjoyed football for a while. They've changed it. It's just, for me, it's not the same game. I'm not enjoying it as much. I watched, I think, four or five games last year and didn't enjoy most of those. Uh, a couple of them I did, but I just wasn't enjoying the game. So, but I, at that point, I was, and I just wanted to enjoy the game with someone else who was a different fan. And so the, some of the people I had conversations with, well, they had, didn't have the mindset that my team is perfect and therefore has no flaws. They had the mindset that our team, like any other team, has flaws and your team has strengths. And we were talking about it in that way. And we had great conversations, great conversations because our mindset was different. We had the, the mindset that we could be in unity on that, even though we didn't agree. You know, he still thought the Philadelphia Eagles stunk and I still thought the Dallas Cowboys were really bad. <laughs> But um, this is what we've got to do, get, get a more of a mindset. See, if we can get into our mindset that, that we understand each other mentally. Let's read it again. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Get more like-minded with people. Get more like-minded. I was thinking about this today. It seems that the more um, liberal a person is, the less tolerant, or I'm sorry, the, the more tolerance they preach and the less tolerance they live. And it's a shame. Because they want to preach tolerance, but very few of them actually live it. Generally, they want to bully people who are of a different mindset than, than them, bully them into thinking or into being silent. And that's just not right. But even in the Christian church, folks, we can, be, we can fulfill Paul's joy here by being like minded, having the same love and being of one accord and of one mind. That may seem like a tall order, but we can get there. It doesn't mean that we're going to agree on every issue. You know, even a, even a church family that we mostly believe the same things, there are still going to be some issues that we believe differently on. And we can still have the same mind, the, the, uh, mindset of unity. We can still have that. I don't have to be in agreement with everyone in order to walk in unity with them. Don't have to do it. We can just uh, walk in the unity of the, of the things that we are in. But you see, if you get mindful of your differences, then you become mindful of your disunity. So most times we need to focus on the things that were, that were good. I'll take you this example. We show up uh, every Tuesday night. We have a group run. In that group run, we have about 50 people who show up. I do not interact with all 50 people. I interact with maybe 10, maybe 12 there are some other ones that I just kind of say hi to and kind of know, but there's, there's a few of them that, you know, when they get there, I greet them by name, talk with them about some things. And then, uh, well, here's the thing. We're, when we all get together, we're in unity because we're all here for the same thing. We're all here to do the same thing. We have the same mindset. We're going to run. We're going to do, do this together. We're not thinking about all the other issues. We're not trying to bring all the other things in. 
We're not uh, sitting there saying, well, I like Nikes and well, I like New Balances. Well, I like... <laughs> we're not thinking about all those kind of things. We just, you know, if you like those kind of shoes, and hey, that's great. Going out there and have some fun with them. But you see, we, the enemy wants us to become mindful of differences and similarities. Where Paul is saying, no, be of the same mind. Be of the same mind. That's what he's talking about here with them. And we can do that. We cannot always get on the same page because in order to get on the same page, you know, if you're in the football world, uh, a Giants fan would have to become an Eagles fan. An Eagles fan would have to become a Dallas fan. And that's just not going to happen. But you can still have unity and you can still get along with each other. So, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. I made this note in my outline. didn't have much room to put it in yours, but the vision comes through legalism. The vision comes through legalism. What was that? No, division. People becoming divided. It comes through legalism. Because I believe that this is the only way that you can be right. And so we, we come up with, with divisions because of our legalistic mindset. Verse uh, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. How many things? Nothing. Nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. So if I do anything thinking that I am the best, if I have a conversation with a Dallas Cowboy fan thinking that the Philadelphia Eagles are the best, am I living up to that scripture? I'm not living up to that scripture, am I? I, I, can't, I can't live up to that scripture and be thinking in my head that people who don't believe that Jesus is the healer are, are uh, not as good of a Christian. I can't, be, I can't be doing that, can I? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. If I go out and think, well, I am so much better because I believe this way or because I have this view or because I have been through this, I've already disrupted the unity. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Now, ambition is good, but when we have ambition to just promote myself, that's selfish ambition. Ambition that just promotes me. That's not good. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. I can have ambition. It's good to be ambitious. If you're not ambitious, you're not going to get out there and do some things. You're not going to go out there and... and, uh, and, and, and push for something better. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. That means having a humble idea of yourself. Lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Now, how many of you can think of some people in the... We're not talking about heathens. We're not talking about people in the world. We are talking about people in the church. How many of you can think of people in the church right now that are obviously not better than you. <laughs> we can think of some folks and, oh, dear God, thank you for not letting me follow that path that that person has done. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. We're talking people in the church, not people outside. Does not mean you've got to take some heathen. When Jesus was dealing with heathens, when he was dealing with, 
super religious people who were making their followers twice as fit for hell as they were. He did not deal with them in this way. We're talking about believers, people in the family. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. See, a lot of times we get to a place where I'm better and my opinion is better than your opinion. And my view is better than your view. And because you have that view, you're obviously not at the level that I am. We think these kind of things. And that causes us to not have unity. That causes us to have a problem with the people that were, that were around. Because I have a mentality that says, I am better. I am over. And we can't have that. We can't be having that kind, of a, that kind of a walk. We can't be having that kind of a way. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But, now I put that but in there, that means let all other things, let everything that you're doing be done this way. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. If we take that viewpoint and we just begin to view other people as better than ourselves, it can change the way that, that we uh, deal with them the way that we talk with them. So he's going to go on here. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, we've talked about this concept before, but you are not called by God to ignore your own interest. You are not called by God to take your own interest and put them down at the bottom. That is not a call. That is not a command. That is not an exhortation. But your own interests have value. And if you do not pursue your own interest, you will not pursue the interest of others either, either. Look at this verse again. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. It's perfectly fine for you to look out for your own interest. Perfectly fine. But also look out for the interest of others. Now here's the thing the devil likes to try and do. He likes to tempt Christians into forsaking their own interest to pursue the interest of others. And once he does that, then your strength goes, your joy goes, all kinds of things go. You are not called to let go of your own interest. You are called to hang on to your own interest just fine. But also look out for the interest of others. That's all he's saying to do. Again, it says, let each of you, each one, not certain ones, let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, if we come into a situation and our interests are not being maintained and we get upset, we're not following the scripture. Because, all right, my interests weren't maintained, but were other people helped? Were other things brought along here? And we have to, we have to sit back and take a look at that because it says... Don't just look out for your own interest. It's okay to look out for your own interest, but don't just do that. You must also look out for the interest of other people. And you can do that. You can look out for the interest of other people. Because if you look out for the interest of other people, you will become more unity-minded in the proper way that you should. You see, the, the reason that we get into fights, we use the sports example, you know, Dallas Cowboy person comes into the... Uh, whatever they call the stadium down there for Philadelphia, um, Lincoln Financial Field. So they come on down to the Lincoln Financial, and they wear their Dallas Cowboy shirt into the Philadelphia arena, 
and, you know, they get beat up or they get stuff thrown at them and stuff like that. And we think, well, that's perfectly fine. They shouldn't have been doing that. But if we look at the scripture. Now, I understand that not everybody, in fact, probably a lot of people who inhabit the uh, uh, stadium there for football are, are, are potentially not Christians. I do understand that. There's, I understand there are some Christians in there, but I understand that potentially there are a number of them that are not Christians and are not going to act according to the scripture. And, and so that will go on. But what happens is, you know, you see the person with the Dallas Cowboy thing and we think, how dare they come into my building and wear that garbage. And see, we're no longer looking out for their interest. I'm looking out for my interest. And so I find a tomato and I, <laughs> I, I throw it at the person. I'm sure that they're finding other things besides tomatoes <laughs> in there. They'll, they'll look for other stuff. But that's why we do it because I'm, I'm no longer looking out for other people's interests. I'm only looking out for mine. And that's not the way that we can go. We have to look out for the interest of others, not just our own. And that's what he exhorts us here. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now he's building up to something here. Let's go on to verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here's the exhortation. There's a mentality that was in Christ Jesus, right? So that mentality that was in him needs to be in you. When he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, what he's basically saying is, think like Jesus. Let this mind be in you. Think like Jesus. Why do we buy books written by rich people? Because I want to be rich. So I want to know how does a rich person think so that I can begin to adopt that type of thinking and that I too can be rich. Why don't we read the stories of people who lost great amount of weight? Because I want to lose a great amount of weight. So I want to read how they did it. What is their mentality? How did they think? And if I can adapt the thinking that they have, I can also lose a great amount of weight. That's why we, we do these things. So he's saying this basically, think like Jesus. Have that mentality. Now, this is a neat scripture. And we probably just quote this by itself. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Except he doesn't stop it there. He says, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, how many of you see yourself as equal with God? Raise your hand up if you see yourself as equal with God. Then not a single person here has the mentality of Christ. Isn't that right? Let's read it all over again here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, he could have pulled out anything that he wanted to about how Christ thought. And this is the one he pulls out. Isn't that right? Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Are you in the form of God? <laughs> See, this is hard for us to get our, 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 ourself around. What do you mean? How can I see myself as equal with God? It's fine that Jesus Christ saw himself as equal with God, but I'm certainly not equal with God. Why did we have that mentality? Because I'm not thinking like Jesus thought. 
I'm thinking like me. I mean, is this, is this not what he's talking about? He says, think like Jesus. And of all the things he can pull, he only pulls out one. He pulls out one way of thinking that Jesus has. And that is, he thought it not robbery to be equal to God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So here's the whole thinking that he puts. He says, here's the mentality that was in him. Jesus saw himself as being equal with God. Despite that thinking that I'm equal with God, he made himself of no reputation. He took himself as Jesus of Nazareth. No reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to whom? If you're going to be obedient, you're obedient to someone. Who's he obedient to? He's obedient to God who he sees himself as equal to. Does it sometimes hinder you from being obedient to someone because you see yourself as equal? Or you see yourself as better? Does that hinder your obedience? If they come and they give you an order, why are you giving me that order? (laughs) Who are you? Who are you? So what he's saying is, this is the mindset of Jesus. He saw himself as being equal with God. Yet he took on a humble form and became obedient. Which would mean to someone over him. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So this is something we have to work on, isn't it? Now, I put this in. This is not my list. It's a good list. I'm not saying that there's only 10 areas. But I wrote these in here for you. 10 areas where we are equal with God. That's almost hard to say, isn't it? 10 areas that you are equal with God. Isn't that amazing? All right, here's the first one. Eternal life. Are you going to live forever? Is God going to live forever? Is God an eternal being? Are you now an eternal being? Are you not equal with God? Is that not equal? John ten twenty eight. And I gave them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now, you didn't gain that on your own. It was given to you. He said, I gave them eternal life. But you have it. You think of it this way. If I pick somebody who's a billionaire, I'm, give me somebody who's a billionaire. Who, Gates? All right, we'll take Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a billionaire. We'll just, we're going to just ascribe an amount to him, and we're going to say that he has $50 billion. If Bill Gates comes over to Corey and says, Corey, I want to give you $25 billion. And Corey says, I received that. 
And he receives $25 billion. Who has more money, him or Bill Gates? They are equal, even though Bill earned his and Corey received his. Right? So you can get your mind around that being equal, but sometimes have a hard, hard time seeing yourself as equal in this area. Why? Because you haven't quite got the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. The reason you have a hard time of seeing yourself on the same page as God in the area of eternal life is because you see it as taking away from God. Haven't I taken away from God by making God come down to my level? But you haven't. God brought you up to his level and made you equal. But can you see how the mentality has to change? You have to go from mentality of seeing God coming down to your level and instead seeing you going up to God's. And that God has made you equal. Well, surely God would make us equal. I mean, God still has to be higher. I mean, I might be right there, but surely God is still higher. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. All right, we got one down. <laughs> Righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Whose righteousness do you have according to this verse? If you have God's righteousness, how can God be greater than you in this area? Now, how many will, will be honest with me? This is rubbing you the wrong way. Right. Let me go back to the verse of Scripture. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can you see you have room for improvement? Because I still see it as robbery for me to be equal with God in the area of righteousness. Because obviously God is more righteous. Because for me, I cannot be as righteous as God because I have sinned and I was born in sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. If he became sin for us, it means that we are not sin. Is, do you see Jesus Christ as equal with God? Anybody have a problem with that? No. And yet Jesus Christ became sin. Everyone's sin was put on Jesus. And yet you have no trouble seeing him as being equal with God. But you have a problem seeing you as equal with God in this area because of your sin. Can you see where that's a problem? <laughs> Should we go on to the next one? <laughs> Destiny. You and God are equal in the area of Destiny. Ephesians 1 verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Having predestined us to, the, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to what? Himself. Well, if you have been predestined to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, do you not have the same destiny that Jesus Christ has?
And why did he do it? Because of his because it was good pleasure. Gave him good pleasure to, to do that. You had the same destiny in this area because Jesus Christ pulled you in. But despite the fact that he pulled you, he still pulled you in, you're still there. Remember, Corey's got $25 billion given to him by Bill Gates. And we still see him as equal to Bill Gates in that area, even though Bill Gates is the reason that he has $25 billion. What's that? (laughs) Here's another one. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Just as he chose, now that word there, chose, is the same word for elect. Just as he chose or elected us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holding without blame before him in love. Well, if he elected us or chose us in him, are we not equal in that area? John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. You are equal in the area of sonship. Are you not just as much of a son of God as Jesus is? If you are just, you're either a son or you're not. That's it. I mean, either you are or you are not. There's no lesser sons. It's either son or not son. (laughs) That's it. Miss Phyllis has four sons. All are just as much a son. (laughs) They're all just as much. We may not look at them that way, but they are just as much of a son. So they're equal in that area. Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So are we not equal in that area? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him, in who? In Christ. We have obtained an inheritance. If our inheritance is obtained by being in Him, is our inheritance any different than His? Doesn't one verse of Scripture, did I put it in here? I didn't put it in here. should have put it in here. Doesn't it call us joint heirs? If you are a joint heir with Christ, are you not all equal? 1 Peter 1.4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's our inheritance. So we are equal in the area of inheritance. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Is Jesus Christ a priest? Are we a priest? Yes. We have been called to a priesthood. So, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But you are a priest. You've been called into a priesthood. 
the same one that Jesus is in? Are we equal in that area? Revelation 1 verse 6. And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He's made us, we got the priest part down. What else has he made us? Kings. Who is Jesus? King. King. Now he's king of kings compared to the kings down here. But when we go up on there, we're all kings. We're all kings in the same kingdom. Right? We are all kings of the same kingdom. He has made us. Is that, is that not past tense? Are you not already made as a king and as a priest? Is it not already done? So there's nothing that you had. This was written before you were even born. Before you were even born, you were made to be a king in the next kingdom. Now, I'm not saying our roles are all going to be the same, but your position here is son, priest, and king. Revelation 5.10, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. 1 Corinthians 1.2, to the church of God, which is a current to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. To those who are sanctified. Is that past, present, or future? Is it not past? Now, how many of you sanctification as a process that you go through this life and you're working hard at it? But what's it say there? To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, who, uh, with all who are in every place, call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord. You have been sanctified. Does it say that you've been partially sanctified? Does it say you've been mostly sanctified? It says you are sanctified. If you are sanctified, can Christ be any more sanctified than you are? So are you not equal in that area before you've even done anything? Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Ephesians 1 verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Is Jesus Christ accepted by God? Are we accepted by God? Are we accepted just as much as Jesus Christ is? Then we are equal in that area. So this is just 10 areas. Again, it wasn't my list. I thought it was a good one. <laughs> 10 areas where you are equal with Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ sees himself as God. And we are equal with him. Amen. Equal. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not think it robbery to be equal with God. But we have a mentality that says, if I think I am equal, I am robbing God. I am taking something that's not mine. 
And so we adapt a mentality that we think is humble. And that mentality is, oh God, I'm such a sinner. Oh God, I'm, I'm no good for anything. Oh God, I just want a lowly position in heaven. I just want to be in heaven. I'm just happy to be in heaven. Just give me a lowly position in heaven. And yet the Word of God says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, apparently the Philippians had some work to do in this area. How many of you can agree we got some work to do in this area? <laughs> I got to get myself into that, that place. Because he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought of not robbery, to be equal with God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So when the enemy comes in and gets in your head and begins to think you to think, well, you're not as good. Well, you're just barely getting in. Well, you don't deserve this. Is Jesus Christ any more of an heir than you are? Is Jesus Christ any more righteous than you are? It's almost hard to say, isn't it? It is almost hard to say because the wrong mentality is on the inside of us. Mm-hmm. Because it's not your righteousness mm-hmm. for which you are mm-hmm. being called into. You are being called into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are made as righteous as God. This is what the Word of God says. You see, we have not let the Word of God implant its thinking upon us. And we have constantly been adopting another way of thinking. We're trying to live this lifestyle with a wrong with a with a wrong way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. cannot do it. You cannot do it. Mm-hmm. One of the places I saw this most most remarkably was uh, back in my college days running cross country. Ran my first year, it's the first year I ever ever had competed, and I had to learn a whole lot of things because running, regardless of what you think, running is ninety to ninety five percent mental. At least racing. If you're going to race, it is 90 to 95% mental. And the rest is physical. All that training that you do, running all those miles, only takes care of, takes care of about 5 or 10% of what you're going to face. And I didn't know this. And I went through the whole first year, and I was learning the mental part. I still had more to learn. And I remember coming into camp my second year. I was in better shape than everybody. I blew them away. On the route. In fact, they even came down to the dinner table and they said, uh, we heard you ran. They named the route that I, I, I ran. And they were shocked that I ran that route on my first day because none of them could have run it. And then we got out there and we did the first day. And I was, I finished the route. I stretched. I cooled down. I got my shower. I got dressed before the next guy came in. I was way ahead of him. And we were training. And we were getting ourselves ready. And we came to the first race of the year. And my coach, the only, ever time, the only time in my life he ever pulled me aside and said anything to me was this day. And he pulled me aside and he said, Steve, you are in better shape than every single guy on this team. And this particular course had a hill that was so steep you could not run on up, up it. You had to climb it. You had to use all your hands and feet to get up this thing. And he said, that hill is going to intimidate a lot of people. He said, it should not intimidate you. I want you to run as hard as you can and you get to that hill. When you get to the top of that hill, I want you to take off. All right, all right, coach. So I got in there. I ran the race and I was going as fast as I could and 
And I could, if I could describe to you what it is that you face inside of a race, I would tell you what you had to learn. But I, there's no way, I have no point of reference to tell you what it is. And I was trying to overcome this aspect of it in this, in this race, and it was very difficult, having a very difficult time. Got to the hill. I remember what coach's word, get to that hill, get up it, and then take off. And so when I got to the top of the hill, I said, I have to take off. There was nothing in me that felt like I could do it. I had to take off. And so I took off. Now, I didn't win that race. I didn't even beat all the guys on our team. A lot of those guys beat me. I let my coach down because he, he saw that I could do something that mentally I didn't get myself past. That's the last he ever gave me. Any other encouragement? Any other talking to? That was it. Never got another word from him after that. And I knew. I said, well, I let him down. I've got to learn how to win this battle out on that, on that field. And it was a hard battle. I couldn't do it now. It, it took a long time to get to the point that I was at, and I was still nowhere near where I needed to, to be to, to be there at the front of the place where the other guys were because the mentality will hold you back. If you do not have this mentality in your Christian walk, it will hold you back. You may be capable of doing much better things, but you won't do it because this mentality will hold you back. He says to these folks, let this mind be in you. It means it's up to you. Not up to anyone else. It's up to you. You need to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It was in him, and it needs to be in you. You have got to see yourself as equal with Jesus Christ, who is also equal with God in these areas that the Bible says you are equal on. And if you let the enemy sneak in and give you any other type of thinking, you're going to have a hard time with the area of unity. You're going to have a hard time with the area of humility. You're going to have a hard time with the area of pride. And you're just going to keep on going from there. You just name just about everything. You're going to have a hard time with it. It is going to keep you from having the success that you should have. When you come to a verse of Scripture that says you are as righteous as Jesus Christ is, I sure am. I sure am. You don't let anything come in and tell you anything different. I am not hindered in this area. I am not inferior. I am equal with Jesus Christ as an heir. I am equal with Jesus Christ as my destiny. Wherever Jesus Christ goes, guess who's going with him? Where you are. Wherever Jesus Christ, wherever his kingdom is, that's where we are. We have the same destiny. We have the same righteousness. We have the same... We're, we're, we're all called sons. We're all part of the same family. And the list just goes on. You have got to have that same mentality. Jesus Christ, who became a man, lived in this life, and took on all of the sin of the world, still does not see himself as unequal with God. I'm not saying you're as great as God. Because obviously God existed before all things and after all things. God created all things. I'm not saying that you are just as great as God. But God has made you equal in many areas. And do not see yourself as short, as inferior. You've got to get rid of that mentality. Because how you go mentally 
It's how you're going to go. If the devil can get you to think, he can get you to think a certain way. That's why I loved my background on the running. Because how you thought is how you're going to race. If you were intimidated by a hill, that hill got you. If you saw yourself as over that hill, that hill didn't have a chance. has no idea, nothing to do with what shape you're in. Everything to do with what you're thinking. If you start off a run thinking, I am just not ready for this, you will have a lousy run. If you start off that run and say, I can get this, I'm going to have a great day, changes everything. It's the same thing with your Christian walk. How you think is how you're going to go. Let this mind be in you. You have got to get the mind of Christ on the inside. It's imperative. It will change the way that you live in this life, change the way you walk, change the way that you walk in victory. It'll change it all. Father, we thank you that in your plan, you saw a way to take people who were caught up in sin and brought us out of that and made us equal, equal in the area of righteousness, equal in the area of sonship, equal in destiny, equal in sanctification, equal in so many things. And yet we look at ourselves and we see ourselves as inferior. And that's holding us back. As Paul said, let this mind be in you. And if he can do it, a man who went around persecuting the church and killing many, how much more can we? Help us, Father, to adopt the mind of Christ and to have that govern our everyday activities, everything that we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.